Hello and welcome back to the newest season of Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. It's not fall yet, but school is back in session for many students, among them college students. How can parents and guardians and the students themselves make sure that their first year at college is a safe and productive experience? Our guest for this episode is Dr. David Edwards, Medical Director for our Student Health Services, which sees not only TTUHSC students, but also those from Texas Tech University. Dr. Edwards talks to us about physical and mental changes experienced by typical college students, as well as how substances such as caffeine, alcohol, and drugs affect development. He also gives us advice on managing stress, getting enough sleep, and how to recognize when a student might need help. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Edwards. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center? Yes. Thanks for having me on on your podcast, Melissa. Thank you to you and your team. My name is Dr. David Edwards, and I'm a faculty in the Department of Family and Community Medicine here at the Health Sciences Center. I've been here for nearly 13 years. I also serve as the medical director at the Student Health Services on the campus of Texas Tech University. Student Health Services comprises a large area of clinics on the first floor and the Student Counseling Center, which is on the second floor. Well, again, we're so happy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, since our topic is college students, can you tell us, are typical college students fully adults and are there physical or mental changes that a typical college student might experience as a young adult? Yeah, good question. You know, I I think if you define adulthood as just based on age, then yes, many of our college students are at least age 18 or age 21, whichever definition you'd like to use. I think we've all seen the memes of adulting, things like I just can't adult today, for example. So I think there's a, a spectrum there of duties and responsibilities consistent with adulthood. I think many of our students absolutely fit the the definition. Many of our students are very active, very responsible, balancing rigorous academic duties with publishing groundbreaking research. They're at, at Texas Tech University. Many of our students are working one or more jobs in addition to going to school full time. They're serving our military in ROTC programs or in National Guard programs, devoting time to training and becoming our, our nation's future warfighters. Many of them are parenting one or more children, in addition to their school responsibilities, many of them are student athletes and performing artists and representing our institution on national levels in those venues. You know, when we define adulthood, I I found a good definition from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and they define really adolescence as a period that spans from puberty through the mid-20s. So I, I think many of our college students, many people in that age range, whether they're in college or not, are in that adolescent 
category working their way into what we would traditionally define as adulthood. And associated with that are, are biological changes, changes within the central nervous system, changes within the brain. Some areas of our skeletons don't mature until age 18, 19, 20, some areas of our spine, for example. And, and the brain is undergoing tremendous changes during this period of, of adolescence as well. So for example, the prefrontal cortex, that front part, that frontal lobe of our brain is undergoing tremendous changes during adolescence. And these are responsible for what we call executive functioning, our ability to plan, our ability to prioritize, our ability to make rational decisions and things that, that are in our best interest. So the prefrontal cortex is developing, areas in the brain that are responsible for reward, areas in the brain that are responsible for emotions are also highly active during adolescence. Interconnectedness between these regions of the brain is also expanding significantly in, in the late teens and, and early 20s. So, so I think all of those physical and mental changes present their own unique set of challenges. And, and then you add to that the challenges of being part of a, a university community. And so there can be some significant stressors there. But, you know, we, we talk about those physical and, and mental changes. And, and along with that comes, in many ways for our students, a definition of who they would want to be. Now that they're separated from maybe their hometown or their home environment, they have an opportunity to create or f more fully develop their identity and their worldview. And experts really define a worldview as that which gives us origin, meaning, morality, and identity. And, and so many of our students, and frankly, many people in this age are, are on that journey to developing their worldview. How do drugs, legal and otherwise, affect their development then? What about caffeine, alcohol, stimulants, marijuana, opioids, sedatives, or tobacco? Yeah, good good questions. I was just on the hospital service with some of our resident physicians. And, you know, these are issues that we think only happen in teenagers and young adults. And yet we had many people on our hospital service who were admitted specifically to detox from alcohol in the setting of an alcohol use disorder. For many of them, they've had multiple admissions for the same same need and continue to relapse, unfortunately. We had a lady in her mid-60s who presented with issues pertaining to smoking crack cocaine. And so you wouldn't think about those traditionally as something that would affect those age ranges. But quite frankly, many of those habits developed early. They developed early, you know, as teenagers or as young adults. And so when we think about drugs, we think about those which have medicinal or physiologic value and those which are more illicit or used specifically for euphoria or intoxication. And so the list you've, you've discussed are primarily in that, that second group. Now, of course, caffeine, you know, very common. Of course, there, there are coffee shops on every corner. Caffeine can be very helpful in maintaining alertness, maintaining concentration. However, it can be overused, particularly when used in energy drinks, particularly when energy drinks are combined with alcohol or other substances. And so that can lead to palpitations, rapid heart rate, chest pain, worsening anxiety when used in what we would call a supertherapeutic quantity. 
Now, when we think about meds or substances that are used for for euphoria, you know, these medications or these substances bind receptors. They bind receptors in the brain. They bind receptors elsewhere in the body. And our brain is uniquely designed with uh, pleasure or reward centers. And many of these use dopaminergic type pathways. And so when we use, you know, substances, there is a powerful reinforcing effect. And that can be highly addictive. You know, no one ever starts out saying, well, I'm going to be an addict in the future, or I'm going to become an alcoholic, or I'm going to become a chain smoker. It happens. And, and unfortunately, it's all too common. The, the typical, you know, stepwise approach, you know, in terms of addiction starts out with just tolerance. And so now more and more of that particular agent or drug is needed to produce the same effect. Tolerance often then leads to withdrawal when that need is not met in a timely manner. And then that's also followed by difficulty cutting back on the substance or difficulty quitting with then relapse and shame and, you know, just this cycle that is is very difficult to break. And it can be something as seemingly innocuous as vaping. We know that vaping is highly, highly prevalent on our campuses. We know that nicotine is in some cases more more addictive than cocaine itself. And so it's very difficult. For, for our patients, for our students to quit. And so, you know, it's the old adage, prevention is better than cure. And so trying to avoid those substances would, would be the best approach. That's not easy. There are lot, lots of temptations that present themselves to college students, but it's, it's an intentional choice that they need to make before they set foot on the campus, ideally. Are any study or sleep aids helpful? And... Is it possible to become addicted to these drugs or supplements? The, the field of science um, is, is really making great strides in, in elucidating just how important sleep is. And college students in particular are notoriously sleep deprived. They have numerous activities. You know, it's the old adage, you can always retake a class, but you can never retake a party and, and so on. When we look at, you know, recommendations for how much sleep someone should ideally get, um, we have some, some guidelines from the CDC. We have some guidelines from other organizations as well. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine encourages us that adults should ideally sleep at least least seven hours or more per night. Now, teenagers, that number goes up to at least 10 hours per night. So, you know, many of our college students are still 17 or 18 or 19. And so, you know, we think about those recommendations. Of course, the reality is that it can be very difficult to achieve those recommendations. So we, th we talk about making sleep a priority. We talk about creating a schedule, getting the body ready to rest, ready to sleep. And oftentimes things that interfere with that are caffeine use, especially late in the day. The effects of caffeine can linger in the system for at least eight hours. We talk about social media use, use of electronics in general as being very stimulating, especially in the evenings. And so we encourage our patients to, quote, unplug at least about an hour before bedtime and really to develop a sleep routine, a sleep schedule, setting their alarm at the same time each morning, even on weekends, trying to go to bed around the same time every night. 
So all of that falls under the umbrella of what we call sleep hygiene. And so if we can maintain good sleep hygiene over time, that's going to be more effective and more sustainable than medications. You know, we, we talk about medications like melatonin, which is available over the counter. Certainly it can be very effective. Studies show that melatonin Circadian rhythms with melatonin secretion are different in, in adolescents and young adults. And so they tend to fall asleep later in the evening and sleep further into the mornings, for example. We don't know what the long-term side effects are for long-term use of, of melatonin as a supplement. And so, you know, we're, we're still waiting on that research. When we think about prescription medicines, a common one is Ambien. Oftentimes it's, it's abused, but that is in the category of what we call sedative hypnotic medications. And so that can be dangerous, especially if it's combined with alcohol or illicit drug use in terms of uh, over-sedation and drug-drug interactions. So that's not a preferred agent. Again, we would reinforce the, the necessity for sleep hygiene. What are some healthy ways for students to increase energy and focus? Well, you know, I, I think getting enough sleep is, is number one on, on that list. And, uh, you know, even with effective sleep hygiene, sometimes there can be anxiety disorders or other mental health issues that affect sleep, PTSD, night terrors, etc. At our Student Wellness Center, we, we do offer cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and that can be very effective as a tool that is not pharmacologic, not medicinal, to help with, with sleep. Additional things that, that really aid us in maintaining energy and maintaining focus is, you know, the basics, a healthy diet, uh, getting regular exercise, you know, having a positive mindset, not allowing stress and fear of the future, worry about tomorrow, get the best of us. Of course, that's easier said than done. And so we want to encourage our students to just do the simple things, more fruits and vegetables, getting enough water in the day. Water is critical to proper you know, health, proper functioning of the brain, for example, and, and getting regular exercise. And then from a mental health standpoint, setting goals, long-term goals, short-term goals, and being able to commit to those with rewards along the way for meeting those milestones, practicing gratitude, you know, especially in this day and age in which so many people are struggling just to survive globally. The ability to, you know, set foot on an institution of higher education and learn and achieve goals is, is tremendous. And then the importance of social interaction and not isolating ourselves, you know, we are, we are created to be social beings, and so we need that support from, from colleagues, from friends, from family. And part of the challenge of setting foot on a college campus as a new student is developing that social network and, and making sure it's a healthy social network as well. How can college students manage their stress to avoid the temptation of turning to substances to cope? You know, I, I think stress management, as we said, starts with some of those basics. It starts with creating a list of priorities and, and really working through those. It, 
to a great degree involves living in the moment. That's not to say that we don't worry about the future, but we don't let that worry become excessive. We plan for the future. We, we have our deadlines when research projects are due, when papers are due, when tests are due, et cetera. But we try to live in the present and not let the fears of tomorrow steal our joy you know, for, for today. So I think excessive worry is a big contributor to stress. Einstein has a quote that I like to remember in which he says, worry is a misuse of one's imagination. You know, the simple fact is over 90% of the stuff that we worry about never happens. And, and, you know, that's whether you're, uh, you know, someone who's age 65 or, you know, an 18 year old who's, who's on a college campus. So I, I think that can help you know, and, and really just um, the importance of having that social network can help with, with stress management. Having someone that you can talk to when you're feeling excessive worry, excessive anxiety, depression as well. Now, many people, especially early in their college careers, don't have that network. They don't have people they can trust or a family member they can reach out to. And we're here. We're here for that at Student Health. We're here for that, you know, through our Student Counseling Center. And so we want students to access those services for their mental health needs. There are really good mental health apps that many of our students are using. Calm and Headspace are two of those examples of apps that really help with stress management and and with mental health. So reach out to us, you know, when when mental health is becoming worse. Our student counseling center phone number is 806-742-3674. Our student health main number, 806-743-2848. The Texas Tech Crisis Helpline is... Last I checked, printed on the students' ID badges. That number is 806-742-5555. And if, God forbid, there are ever thoughts of self-harm or suicide, you know, we, we do need people to, to reach out to us or present to their local emergency room or utilize the National Suicide Prevention Line. And that number is 1-800-273-TALK. So, so those are some things that can help with stress. You know, as a sports medicine physician, we are taught exercise is medicine, and, and that's true for mental health as well. And so good research data that shows that consistent exercise in whatever way the, the student finds sustainable and enjoyable can help decrease stress, decrease depression, improve mood, and improve attention and focus. How can friends or parents recognize the signs of their loved ones misusing drugs or self-harming or just being overwhelmed? You know, we've, we've talked about drugs. I just read an article about video game addiction as well, and that's becoming more and more of an issue. The signs and symptoms are very similar, and the reward centers are similar. We just talked about the dopaminergic centers in the brain as being reinforced with use of drugs or with use of video games, etc. But some of the warning signs to look for would be personality changes, mood changes, irritability, a decrease in facial expression in someone who previously was fairly interactive, someone whose voice is maybe now more monotone, maybe softer than usual. We look also for so-called red flags, lack of responsiveness to calls, phone calls, texts, emails, just being more difficult to get a hold of and communicate with. And then we worry about social isolation, not wanting to leave the home. 
an untidy appearance, a decline in self-care, a decline in hygiene. And, and in some cases, especially when substance use is involved, a strong smell of mouthwash or perfume, excessive use of, of those things to try to mask the, the substance abuse that's going on. And then in some cases, uh, poor appetite, unexpected weight loss. So those are all some, some signs that someone is having difficulty with, with their mental health, whether it's due to addiction or due to worsening depression or anxiety. What would you recommend students include in their going away to college first aid kit? That would be, I guess, literally and metaphorically. So especially for our students who will be living in residential housing or, or what we used to call the dorms, you know, it's, it's a good idea for them to have some basics for first aid. And there are pre-made kits, first aid kits that can be purchased. Some of them are tailored specifically to the needs of college students, but you don't necessarily have to buy a kit. All you need is a container and some basics. Uh, a thermometer is, is a good place to start preferably an oral digital thermometer, as those will be the easiest to use. And then pain-relieving medicine like Tylenol, which the generic is acetaminophen, or ibuprofen. And so just things that you can have on hand for sore throats or generalized aches and pains or fevers. Cold and allergy medicine, cough drops, things that are available over the counter to, to help with, you know, cough and cold symptoms. As, as we look forward to the pandemic continuing to decline, we're still seeing cases of COVID. And so it would be prudent to have some home test kits for COVID as part of the first aid kit. And then just things that would help with minor cuts, scrapes, and so on. So a variety of bandages, some triple antibiotic ointment, some scissors, some nail clippers, some, you know, alcohol-based sterile hand wipes would, would be useful. Um, tweezers, etc. And then, you know, just symptomatic care, having Kleenex at home, having some Vicks, having some sports beverage like Gatorade or Powerade, especially if you're having an upset stomach, soup cans, water, you know, just uh, some of the basics so that if, whether you're sick or not, if, if for whatever reason you couldn't leave your room for two or three days, you'd still be able to survive. What about metaphorically? Metaphorically, uh, yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's a difficult question. I think it goes back to the student asking him or herself, why, why am I here? Why am I setting foot on a college campus. So number one, congratulations for, for graduating from high school. Congratulations on having a goal to pursue additional education on a college or university campus. I think it's easy to get lost in the activities and all, all the ancillary things. There has to be a clear focus. So why am I here? What are my priorities? What am I willing to commit to with the expectation that it's going to be hard? And when things get hard, who's my support network going to consist of? Is it, is it some friends from back home? Is it a family member? Is it my academic advisor? Is it, you know, my major professor? What is that going to look like? And then I would encourage parents and loved ones to stay in contact with, with the student and to make that a priority. 
So, so those are, I think, things that are part of first aid and really just, you know, having that list of things that, that will be done every day that make life easier and that reduce decision fatigue. So for example, I'm going to set my alarm at 7 a.m. This is what I'm going to try to pack for breakfast. I'm going to pack my backpack and fill my water bottle. I'm going to get to class by 7.30. I'm going to go to class. After class, I'm going to go exercise. After that, I'm going to go to the library. After that, I'm going to go to my work shift. So having that general schedule, it doesn't have to be, you know, absolute. Life happens, things change. But having that general schedule gives us purpose. It gives us a sense of accomplishment as we check off box by box. And it helps us to stay focused on what needs to happen today without excessive worry for, for the future. Is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, um, again, I would extend my congratulations to our college students. It's not easy, but it is worthwhile. And it's an investment in himself or herself that will really provide lifelong rewards. And hopefully there will be some great memories along the way. I would encourage personal responsibility and, and really maintaining goals and, and really doing your best each, each and every day. And then I would just remind people that Texas Tech is a great university, a great place to be. And I'd encourage them to, you know, access our services at Student Health Services and our Student Counseling Center when they're sick or when they're overwhelmed uh, from a mental health standpoint. And lastly, I would encourage them to remember that God loves them and has a plan for their lives. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and giving us all this great advice. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susanna Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, Kay Williams, Tyler White, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>